Be turning to Genesis 32. Genesis 32. I have a hope. It's not just emotion. It's not something I just get excited about and I just leave it here. We take this hope with us wherever we go, and we'll take it through the end of the ages. And aren't we glad that God's word never changes? He's always the same. Man, what powerful words. Thank you guys for singing for me this morning. I just knew that it fit real well with what I wanted to do. Our story this morning really kind of goes back all the way over to Genesis 25, and I'm just going to kind of give you the, the Cliff Notes version. You remember in college, there were so many times I'd go try to find the Cliff Notes where I wouldn't have to read the whole book. They had a kind of a summary, and I made a living reading Cliff Notes through college. But, uh, but this is kind of the Cliff Note version about Jacob, a life turned around. Jacob was one of those guys that, not unlike us, that always tried to seem like he wanted to do things his way. He thought that, you know, God's busy, and yeah, God's out there somewhere, but God's really not with me every day, and, and uh, I've got all these dreams and hopes, and I've got all these goals in my life, and I'm just going to set out in my strength and my power, and I'm going to do whatever it takes to make sure that I get what I want. And that's pretty much was his life. Jacob was the son of Isaac and Rebekah, and he had a twin brother named Esau. And uh, they even fought in the womb, all right? <laughs> Rebecca said, man, they're fighting. What's going on? And, and the Lord said, you're going to have, these are boys that's going to be over two big, strong nations. And so when they were born, Esau came first. And they said he was just covered with hair and real woolly and kind of redheaded, a lot of people believe. And, and uh, he was kind of the, the leader. He was the firstborn. And then here come Jacob. They said he even had a hold of his heel in the, in the womb there as he came out. They were delivered just back to back. And so they grew, and uh, life began. And Jacob was kind of a mama's boy, you know. If, if you're a mama's boy, that's okay, all right. But Esau was more of a hunter, and uh, he kind of liked the wildlife, and he liked the farming and things. And, and he got out, you know, he, he was daddy's kind of daddy's pride and joy, you know. He, he did the, the daddy kind of things that daddies like, you know. Today he probably would have played football or, you know, kind of something like that. But he... He was a hunt, hunter and, and did things that, that he enjoyed there. And one day, as Jacob begins his life of, I'm going to get what I want when I want it, he's sitting there, uh, you know, I guess mom would give him some lessons, and he's cooking some stew. And Esau comes in from the field, and he's hungry, and, and he's just starving to death. And he said, man, I, I'm, I'm about to die, you know. We were talking about that with the kids this morning. We, we seen a very gripping thing last Sunday night with uh, David Platt and talking about poverty. And, you know, we're, we, we think about, just real quick, he talked about one billion people that live on one dollar a day or less. One billion people live on one dollar a day or less. Try that this week and see how you like living like that. And then he talked about 16,000 plus. He said it could be as many as 20,000 a day children die of starvation because they have no food. And I think about how I can just go to my refrigerator and get anything I want. I think about my girls making sure they have food and you know, and when we say, Lord, I'm starving to death, I'm hungry, we have no idea what we're really saying. We, we've never really been hungry. Not very, not very many of us have been really, really hungry in our life. But Esau comes in and says, I'm starving to death. I'm about to die. And he said, you know what? I'll give you a bowl of this uh, stew that I've got here if you'll make me, give me your birthright. Do what? Well, I want to be the firstborn. I want your blessing. 
So I'll give you this bowl of stew so you won't starve to death, but I want to, be, I want to get, get Dad's blessing, and I want you to give me your birthright. Now you think, well, that's a ridiculous thing. Over a bowl of stew? Do you know what Esau did? Okay, I'm in. I don't really care about that anyway. It's no big deal to me. He's kind of thinking the same thing. I'm going to make my way my way anyway, so I don't care about the birthright that much. And so he sold his birthright for a bowl of, a bowl of soup. How many times have you given away very important things in your life for a little bit of money? A little bit of something? How many teens have given away their their teenage years for just a little bit of moment of happiness or pleasure or what they thought would be a long time thing? But only to look up two weeks later and the person you thought loved you is gone. And now you're pregnant. How many have you thought well, man, it's not no big deal not to go to church, not take my kids to church. It's no big deal. It's no big deal that they don't see me go to church. And you give away that opportunity for just a bowl of soup. It's more important for me to go fishing or hunting. It's more important for me to go shopping. It's more important for me to go do all these other things with my kid, but you know what? Really, going to church, that's kind of way down on the pole. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give up that opportunity to tell them about Jesus as much as possible for a bowl of soup. And I think we're all guilty of that one time or other in our life. Guys, listen to me. And I can't, I know you think, well, Brother Todd, you preach about that every week, about being faithful and coming to church. But guys, once again this week, we've seen a man walk into a school, put a gun to people's heads and say, if you are Christian, I'm going to shoot you and kill you. And he killed eight of them. Seven of them, whatever the number was. You don't get a second chance to pour Jesus into your kids' lives. We live in a world that's trying to take our kids away from us. We live in a world that's trying to take and separate our kids. I was at a wedding yesterday, and in their kids' wing... They had this on the wall, the race for your children's life. The race for your children's thoughts. And I said, what a statement. Do you realize, mom and dad, grandma and grandpa, we are racing to bring our kids to Christ before the devil gets them. Y'all understand that? Everybody say amen. Amen. We are running a race. I'm telling you. And sadly, the devil is winning that race a lot more than we are. Because of what we're showing our kids is important. We're willing to give them a bowl of soup rather than give them a life in Jesus where they can have eternal life. And you say, well, Brother Tom, they're going to find Jesus. If I just come and go, it's all right. You don't know that. And listen, I'll give you this. You don't know that they are if you come every Sunday. I understand that. I've seen wonderful people bring their kids every service, and they turned out wrong. But it was not because mom and dad didn't try all they had to put as much Jesus in them as they possibly could. Because I am telling you, this world is trying to kill our kids. It's trying to steal our kids. The devil is trying to destroy our kids. And we got to give them all the Jesus we can between the ages of, of 2 to 22. So that they've got the most tools in their box so they can make good decisions for Christ. 
Because, guys, it just takes a moment, and you'll sell everything for a bowl of soup. Esau did it. He said, I don't care. Well, that kind of went along, and he thought, I got this. And then one day come, Isaac's getting older, and Isaac can't see anymore. That's the daddy. He can't see. He said, I want Esau to come into me. I know my days are numbered, and I, I need him to come into me so I can give him my blessing. So he called Esau in. He said, Esau, I want you to go and hunt me some great food. He, he must have loved wild game. He said, I want you to go, go hunt me. Of course, I guess all of it was wild in those days, wasn't it? But he said, I want you to go get me some wild game and, and bring it in. We're going to cook it up, and, and we're going to just sit down and talk, and I'm going to give you my blessing. Well, Mama hears this. Rebecca. And the deception starts again. Jacob, come here. Your daddy is about to give the blessing to Esau. Now here's what we're going to do. I want you to go and get some of your brother's clothes that he's been out in the field wearing. Bring them. Get the good smelly ones that smell just like him. We're going to put some, some goat hair on your arms because he's way hairier than you. And your daddy will be able to just touch his arms and realize it's not you. But, but we'll put some goat skin on your arms. And then you go into him, and he'll give you the blessing. How tough would it be to be a mama that leads her kid astray? Let me ask you this. Are you teaching your kids how to be deceptive? Are you teaching your kids how to be liars? The bank gave me $10 more yesterday. What'd you do with it? I just kept it. Wasn't it great? Ten free bucks. Guys, I'm learning. Y'all told me, but I'm learning. They're, they are watching you all the time. And they want to know what everything means and why you do everything you do. And sometimes we don't think it's a big deal. Sometimes we may cheat on our taxes. Sometimes we may cheat on our expense report at work. And you think, they don't know nothing about that. But is there something we're doing in our life that's teaching our kids to be deceptive, to be liars, to be deceivers? Rebecca said, this is what we're going to do. I want you to be number one. Can you see the problem when we don't love all our kids the same? And, you know, it's, it's very difficult. I, I just kind of notice you just kind of pick one, you know. I don't know how that happens. But, but listen, guys, even if it's in your thought process, and it shouldn't be, but sometimes it creeps in there, our kids should never see us care for one more than the other. So they did it. He went in there to his, to his dad, and his dad, he said, Dad, I'm here. It's Esau. He said, well, you have the voice of Jacob. He said, but yeah, Dad, but feel my arms. It's me. Oh, yeah, you're, you, have, you have the hair on your arms. And so his mom, in the meantime, had fixed up a little meal, you know, and he, goes, he comes in there and goes, how, Esau, how did you go out there and kill that so fast and get it ready? The Lord provided. Hmm. Isn't it amazing how we bring the Lord into our little stories and our little schemes? Well, that's what the Lord wanted me to do. I hear that all the time. That's what the Lord wanted me to do. The Lord, 
The Lord, he knows that I need to do that or that or that. You know, the Lord don't mind if I do this or this or that. Yeah, he does. But he said, Dad, the Lord gave me a, a quick kill and everything's great. And so they begin to eat. And he said, I'm going to give you my blessing. You'll be, you'll be the most blessed and nations and everything will bow to you, all these things. And he said, give me a kiss. And he got up there and he said, oh, you even smell. You, yeah, it's Esau. You smell just like my son. Esau gets back from going hunting. And, and they tell him, what, you know, he comes in to his dad. He says, dad, I've got the food you wanted and I'm ready for your blessing. He said, son, who is this? He said, it's Esau. He said, oh, my goodness. Oh, I've been tricked. Son, I, I just gave your blessing away. Well, don't you have another blessing? He said, no, God just told me I had the blessing to give to my son. And, and, and Jacob has tricked me. He said, well, I'm going to kill him. Don't this just sound like, sounds like this young and restless my wife watches, all right? It's just, just one turn after another, you know? Don't none of you men shake your head, because I know some men that watch them too, all right? My daddy watched As the World Turns the day he died, you know? So, his mama says, Jacob, you better get out of here. Your brother's mad. He's fixing to kill you. He said, you go off, go over down there by my, my brother and, and Laban, and, and he, just stay with him. And when everything's cool, when he calms down, I'll call you back. 20 years goes by. He ain't heard from mama. Esau must still be mad. In the meantime, he's begun living in, in Laban's, area, Laban's area. And Laban's got two beautiful daughters. Well, one's a little bit more pretty than the other, let me say that. They said something about, about Leah that, uh, what was it? I forget now. But it was something like she has a good personality. You know what that means, guys, all right? All right? Rachel was, was pretty. And so Laban said, you know, there's no sense you just coming and working and not getting paid. He said, you ask anything and you can have it. He said, I'd like to ask for your, your daughter, daughter Rachel's hand in marriage. He said, okay. You work seven years for me and, and Rachel's yours. Man, can you imagine having, I don't know if Bill would have said, you got to work seven years for me before you get Dana. I, I don't know, baby. I don't know. You know, it'd been tough. You know, it would have been tough. So he worked, he worked seven years, and okay, it's time for the big wedding, and man, they put on a big shindig, and everything's going great. And that night, he, he does a swap. Laban does a swap, and he gives, he gives the, the good personality girl to, to, to Jacob. And all of a sudden, he, he realizes. And so now he's married to her, and... She gives him some children, and, but now there's this, you know, this isn't what I planned. God, you messed up, you messed me up, God, where were you, all right? Isn't it amazing how we always call on God when things don't go our way, but we don't need him when things are going well? I don't imagine he called on him too much when he was deceiving his brother or you know, all those things. Meanwhile, Jacob's just acquiring animals and stock, and man, things are going great. So, he said, man, you, you lied to me, and, and Laban, you, you told me wrong. He said, well, I'll tell you what. If you'll work seven more years, I'll give you, I'll give you Rachel. And guys, listen, th this was a time when you could have multiple wives. 
And you go, well, why did God allow that? You know, and it's kind of like, why does God allow what's going on today? God's not allowing that. It, well, he, I guess he does, but he gives us free will. We can still pick, all right? And listen, just because they had multiple wives in the Old Testament, you know what God's design still was for marriage? One husband, one wife for life, all right? That's always been his design. It will never change. One man, one woman for life. And when you go out of sight of that, there's heartache. There's heartache. And so here he goes, and he works seven more years. Now he gets to marry Rachel, okay? So we got Leah and Rachel, and all of a sudden they think whoever can give him more children, he's going to love more. And so they start this children war thing. So Leah has a few, but Rachel finds out, I can't have children. So what does she do? Kind of like what Sarah did. Here, I mean, I mean uh, Moses, uh, yeah, Sarah, give it to Abraham. Here, here, take my handmaiden, and you have a baby with her. So now there's a third woman in the picture. You see how I'm saying it's like a soap opera? And then Leah says, oh, okay, well, here's my handmaiden. So there's a fourth woman in the picture, and they're just having kids. And I'm sure Jacob's head's going like this, you know? But they're just trying to see who can give him those children. And so finally, finally, Rachel gets to have a child. And man, that's, that's his, Jacob loves his child, you know? But they still have more children. There are more children here and more children here and more children there. It's just amazing all this is going on. Well, finally, it's time. There's a lot more that I won't get in today, but finally it's time to go try to go home. Because Laban's kind of been lying to him, and now he's wanting to go home, and so he kind of sneaks out in the middle of the night, and here comes Laban trying to capture him and, and run him down, and he finds him, and he says, look, if you've got some of my false gods, I want them back. And, and Rachel is the one that's got the false gods, but she hides them uh, through this deception again, and all this crazy stuff, but finally Laban leaves and they continue on. And now he finds out that Esau is coming to find him. The brother, you remember that he did wrong and wanted to kill him 20 years ago, and now it's many more years later, but he's coming to him. So again, rather than praying to God, Jacob says, all right, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to get a group of uh, goats and cows and all these things, and I'm going to give these to my brother as, a, as a, like a peace offering. And so on the way, he has the Jacob ladder experience. We won't get into that today, but he sees that, that God's trying to, to show him something. He's still thinking about himself, his greed, his want, all the things that he wants. And so we're getting closer now, and it's time for him to, to send these people, these caravans toward, Jacob, toward Esau. And what he's going to do is he broke them up into four groups. And he said, I'm going to put like... Leah's handmaiden and her kids first, and I'm going to put Rachel and her handmaiden's kids second, then Leah's kids will be third, and then Rachel and her kids will be fourth. Can you see who he cared for the most? Because he thought Esau was coming to kill him, all right? He's bringing 400 men. And so he thought, well, he'll have to go through this group and go through that group and go through this group and go through that group, and you just tell him that all these are gifts. And he'll protect them. And so he sneaks them out of camp at night. And then he's left all alone. Then we go to our, our message today. Real quick. I'm going to go fast, I promise. Look there in verse 22 of chapter 32. You'll have to skip on down 
Find 22 for me, Russell, if you would. Verse 22. And let's go there. I'll have to come back and fill you in on the rest some other time. That night, Jacob got up, took his two wives, his two female servants, his 11 sons, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent from, from them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone. It's amazing that God has to get you alone where you'll listen to him sometimes. But Jacob is left alone. And a man wrestled with him till daybreak. Now, he's just defined as a man here. Here's, here's kind of our wrestling Jacob thing, okay? Just, just a man is how he's defined so far. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Now, if, if, I don't know if you've ever wrestled much, but if you don't have a hip to push off of and all those things, you, you're going to lose that match, okay? Then the man said, not Jacob, but then the man said, let me go, for it is daybreak. Remember in our song, let me go, Jacob. Let me go, for it is daybreak. Now, the commentaries don't really tell us why he wanted to be out of there before daylight. It's like he didn't want to be seen in the light. But he wanted to be gone before daylight. And they're wrestling all night. Let's find out who he's wrestling with. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel. By the way, Jacob meant deceiver. What appropriate name, amen? But Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Now, that's a very interesting verse. Do you know of anybody that you could think of before you read this that it could overcome God? And he's overcome man in, in lots of different ways and probably really not godly ways. He overcome Esau, he overcome Laban, you know, he's overcome every obstacle to this point. But, he, but here in this very curious verse it says, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome Jacob said, please tell me your name, verse 29. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it was because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. Then the sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip, because the socket of Jacob's hip, hip was touched near the tendon. Now, let's break this down real quickly. He's wrestling, and the Bible calls it a man, but then he said, I have, I have seen the face of God. Now, there are different times throughout the Old Testament that we have a, a, a vision or we have an appearance of what we call the pre-incarnate Christ, which means that, that it's Jesus before Jesus lowered himself and was born as a baby through a virgin to this world. We, we know that Jesus has always existed, right? Y'all follow that. That time that we celebrated Christmas was not the first time Jesus was on the scene. He didn't, wasn't created in the womb and he became, it's a God thing, but he lowered himself and became a man so that he could come and die for our sins. But in different spots throughout the Old Testament, 
You remember uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? You remember the fiery furnace? And, and they put three in there, and you remember what the king said? Didn't we put three? And I see four. And four's like, he's got the face of God. That was Jesus, pre-incarnate. Joshua. Joshua seen an angel of God in, in the desert. And that, that was Jesus, pre-incarnate. Here we have a pre-incarnate Jesus. And, and Jacob is wrestling with him, all right? They're fighting and going and, and, and all these things. And I, and I think when we hear that, let me go, Jacob. And I think a lot of this, a lot of this questions in here, like, why do you ask my name? You remember when, when now let's just call the wrestling man Jesus. When Jesus said, why do you, why do you want to know my name? I, I think these are rhetorical questions. Or these are questions like, you should know the answer. You should know who I am. And they, they wrestle and fight. And he's saying, let me go. And, and I, do, you think that, do you think that Joshua, I mean, Jacob could keep Jesus from escaping? No, but God allowed that. Jesus allowed him to overcome him, to overpower him, so he could teach him a lesson. Jacob, guys, was in despair. Jacob knew his brother was coming with 400 soldiers. He didn't know why, as far as, well, he, he thought he knew why. He thought he was coming to kill him. And he realized when he looked around at all his stuff, I've got all these sheep and goats and possessions and and wives and children. But I'm still all alone. I still have no hope. There's still something missing in my life. I've tried it all these other ways. I've tried getting there on my own. I've tried having a good job. I've tried doing everything I could by myself. I've had relationships. I've had all these things. But, but it's not working. And we see that night when Jacob was left alone, guys, he was desperate. He was desperate. And God came calling. Isn't it amazing in our desperation we can find Jesus still sitting there going, I'm here. I'm here. I haven't left you. I'm here. I'm here. I've been waiting. But I think when he says, let me go, Jacob, it's almost like he's testing Jacob to say, do you still want to try this on your own? Or do you think you need me now? And I'm telling you, I think Jacob flashed onto him so strong, and I believe he's crying and wailing. He said, Lord, do not leave me. If you leave me, I have no hope. I cannot make it. And guys, I'm telling you, we as Christians today, we as the church today, we as a nation today, we need to cry out and we need to latch on to Jesus Christ like we never have before and not let him go because Jesus Christ is the only hope we have. I have a hope. It's not just emotion or I get giddy. It's more than that. It's in Jesus Christ. And Joshua, that day, I believe that day, he gave his heart to Christ because he had all the other things, but it just didn't cook. It didn't match. It didn't mesh. It didn't work. He tried everything else, but he never tried Jesus.
and, and he thought about Jesus. There's even a time over here, and I can't find it right now. There was even a time he said, well, if you'll take care of this and this and this and this and give me this and give me that and give me this and give me that, then I'll, I'll let you be my God. That's what he said to Jesus. That's what he said to God. That's his prayer. Just a big old bargaining session. He'd been bargaining all his life. He bargained his brother out of his birthright. He bargained Laban out of sheep and goat. Read the story. He said, I'll take the spotted ones, you can keep the white ones. He'd build up fences and, and they wouldn't get to mate at the right time. And so the spotted ones just kept growing. He kept getting more and more sheep. He'd been doing it all his life. But he realized that you can't bargain with God. You can't come to God on your terms. You can't come up here and say, I want to be saved. But, but God, here's, here's what's going to happen. I want you to pay all my bills. I want you to take all my trouble away. I want you to make all my kids good. And Lord, if you'll do all that, then I'll follow you. You can't bargain with God. He's paid the price on the cross. He did enough. He wants you to trust him for the rest. And I know that's hard. I know that's difficult to understand. But he wants us to trust him no matter what. He wants us to trust him with our lives, with our jobs, with our spouse, with our kids, with our home, with our possessions. And don't make bargains with God. Jacob, Jacob earlier said, Lord, if you'll do all this for me, then you can be my God, like he's doing God a favor. And guys, Jacob isn't the only one that's ever done that, amen? We act like we're a favor to God sometimes. God, I went to church two whole times last month. I even put 20 bucks in the offering plate that one Sunday. You remember that, God? You remember? I read my Bible last month. You see how, God, I want you to come to me on my terms. I want, I want you to come to me when I want you to come to me. And Jacob finally found out in that, in that out there in the desert, in that wrestling ring of life, when he got a hold of God and looked him face to face in the eyes, he goes, this is what I've been missing. This is what I need. There is no other way but through Jesus Christ. This world can offer me a hundred thousand things, but it can't feel the longing that Jesus can feel in my life. And guys, until we get to that point, we're never going to enjoy being a Christian. We're never going to enjoy it. We're going to always be looking for something else. We are. Let me go, Jacob. If you're not real, if you really don't want me, if you don't want to give me 100%, if you don't want to surrender to me, let me go, Jacob. Jacob thought about that for about a split second. He said, I will not let you go. Because I know that blessings are only going to come if I get in line behind you. And we're not, he didn't state how many blessings or what blessings he wants. He just knows that to follow God is the right way to go. There's no other way. I will not let you go. And guys, I believe Jesus Christ could have snuck out of there and left him and tangled him in knots. He could have put him in a pile driver and an atomic bomb and everything else, all right? You wrestlers will get that, all right? Pile driver. You know, he could have done the Jerry Lawler thing on him, but he didn't, all right? Because he wanted to realize, do you really want me? Do you really want me in your life? And Jacob said, there is no other way. And he was so scared and so alone, and so worried that he knew if he let Jesus go, he was going to die. We all need to get to that point in our life where we realize that if I don't hold on to Jesus, 
I am not going to make it. And I'm not just talking about life and death physically. I'm talking about every day. I'm talking about eternity. I'm talking about all those things. Because there is nothing this world's got that can replace what Jesus has for you. And this is not about getting stuff. This is not about, oh, if I follow Jesus, I'm going to have more. And this is, not a, this is not a prosperity gospel, guys. This is take up your cross, put it on your back, and follow me, Jesus says. And I'll take you through the worst days of your life. I'll take you through the good days of your life. And I will never, ever let you go. Because the amazing thing is, when you don't let Jesus go, you find out that he's already holding on to you, all right? You find out that he's, if you're his, yeah, you know, I need Jesus, and you, you get all excited, and you grab a hold of him, but then you realize, you look, and you see these bigger arms, they've already had you. But it just took you a while to realize, I can't do this on my own. I can't do this on my own. Let me go, Jacob. I will not let you go. Maybe today God's saying something like that to you. Let me go, Dana. I will not let you go. Let me go, Steve. I won't let you go. Let me go, Eddie. I'm not letting you go. Let me go, Paul. I'm not letting you go. Please, please, God. I can't make it without you. And Jacob come to the end of himself and decided to turn it all over to Jesus. And his life was never the same. Just a few days later, he met his brother. And his brother ran and kissed him. And he said, I've missed you. I've missed you. Isn't it amazing what God can do? And we turn it over to him. Let's pray. Lord, I pray, do not let me go. I need you. Lord, help me always come to you on, my ter on your terms and not mine. Lord, help me never to bargain with you. Help me just to trust you. Lord, I pray that this morning that we're all sitting here and just begging God not to let us go. And Lord, we know that you're, you're, never, you're not going to, but Lord, we need to get to that point where we realize I cannot make it without God in my life. I pray that you would speak to folks and speak to lives. Maybe there's someone in this crowd that's been trying to do it their way for so long and they've never given their heart to you. Maybe there's some parents in this crowd that says, I'm not putting enough of God in my kids, and I want to just rededicate my life to that today. I want to I re-up and be the better parent, and let them see more of Jesus in me and the things that we do. Lord, maybe there's some here today that, that says, I need to be helping more in my church, and they want to just slip over and sign up for a ministry team. Lord, I just ask you to speak in many, many different ways this morning. This sermon can go a hundred different ways, and I just pray you'll use every one of them to speak to hearts. In your name we pray, amen.